0: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Cold Fusion. In this episode, we'll take a look at six situations where the leaders of companies scoffed at ideas that would later be fundamental technologies. These are some of the worst predictions ever made. So it's easy to look back in hindsight and laugh at these decisions. But I think it's more interesting to practice some empathy here and look at things from their perspective. This will give us more understanding and insight into why they believed what they did at the time. Number six, Western Union's president laughs at the telephone. The year is 1876, and at this time, the telegraph was cutting edge communication, countless times faster and more reliable than the horse and pony. It was truly the future. In 1876, William Orton, who was president of Western Union, which had a monopoly on the telegraph, was offered the patent for a new invention, the telephone. The asking price for the patent was $100,000, or about $2 million in today's currency. He considered the whole idea to be ridiculous. He wrote directly to Alexander Graham Bell, saying, After careful consideration of your invention, while it is a very interesting novelty, we have come to the conclusion that it has no commercial possibilities. What use could this company make of an electrical toy? So what was his perspective? At the time, the telegraph was a proven technology that had just disrupted century-long forms of communication. To William, the telephone just seemed like a novelty. Two years later, after the telephone began to take off, Orton realized the magnitude of his mistake and spent years unsuccessfully challenging Bell's patents. As for Alexander Graham Bell, he kept his patent and a few decades later, his company, which would become AT&T, was now the largest corporation in America. The company would also go on to invent other fundamental technologies like the transistor and laser under their Bell Labs department. Number five, IBM's president on computers. The year is 1943 and the world is in the midst of the worst conflict ever seen. Victory for the Allies was close, and technology aided in the defeat of the Axis powers on many fronts. A computer that could calculate automatically would prove invaluable during war. It was amongst this backdrop that the president of IBM, Thomas Watson, stated, I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. So what was his perspective? In 1943, IBM was into the business of selling punch cards and producing typewriters, as well as electrical mechanical calculators and tabulating equipment. Computers in this era were still a foreign concept, There were huge machines that took up an entire room, and there was only a few of them in operation globally. They were used to calculate things like ballistic trajectories or breaking German codes for the war effort. These early computers used vacuum tubes instead of transistors to carry out their calculations. This meant that they used up a lot of power, were extremely expensive, and often broke down as vacuum tubes would burn out just like light bulbs. If just one tube broke, the whole system would stop working. So, to Thomas Watson, running a computer simply required too much effort to be practical for a wider market, and rightly so. But of course, today there are countless billions of computers within billions of devices worldwide. Number 4. The co-founder of 20th Century Fox dismisses television. The year is 1946, and the war had just ended and peacetime had just begun. TVs were starting to enter the home in Europe and America, but only just barely. The concept of television was still very new at the time radio was still the king of nationwide shared experiences at this time daryl zanuck co-founder of 20th century fox stated television wouldn't be able to hold onto any market it captures after the first six months people will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night so the reasoning at the time 20th century fox wasn't the business of film and what a huge business it was audio had just come to the theaters 19 years earlier blowing minds in its wake moviegoers can now see their favorite stars sing and dance on the big screen. Cinema became a quintessential social experience. A big screen, comfortable seats, food and snacks, friends, a date, or family by your side. How could a tiny wooden box compete with such a full experience? But as it turned out, people really valued watching content in the comfort of their own home, and the variety of programs that came out of television couldn't have been easily predicted. Number 3. Steve Ballmer, CEO of Microsoft, dismisses Google. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Ballmer. <coughs> the year is 2004, and Google had only been in operation for four years, but had already proven themselves taking a huge market share among search engines of the time. Still, Steve Ballmer, CEO of Microsoft, remarked, Google is not a real company, it's a house of cards. His perspective? Well, there wasn't much of it. It was said in a blind fit of rage. Here's the story. Mark Lakofsky was a key engineer at Microsoft. He had been the principal architect behind Windows NT, which eventually would evolve into Windows XP. He was a big deal. And in 2004, he had a meeting with Steve Ballmer to let him know that he was leaving, and Steve didn't like it. Just tell me it isn't Google. Bulmer remarked when Lakovsky said he was leaving. When Lakovsky confirmed that it was indeed Google, Ballmer allegedly picked up a chair and threw it across the room. If throwing a chair across the room didn't demonstrate that Bulmer had snapped, his next statement made it crystal clear. Here it is. "Fucking Eric Smith is a f***ing pussy. I'm going to f***ing bury that guy. I have done it before and I'll do it again. I'm going to f***ing kill Google. And after that tirade, Steve made the famous remark that Google was indeed a house of cards. And of course, today, Google's parent company, Alphabet, is doing just fine. Number two, Behind the Curve on the First iPhone. The year is 2007, and the iPhone was just released to great fanfare. And once again, Steve was behind the curve. Here's what he said Steve, let me ask you about uh, the iPhone and the Zune, if, if I may. The Zune uh, was getting some traction, and Steve Jobs goes to Macworld and he, he pulls out this iPhone. What was your first reaction when you saw that? <laughs> fully subsidized with a plan? I said, that is the most expensive phone in the world, and it doesn't appeal to business customers because it doesn't have a keyboard, which makes it not a very good email machine. This time, his perspective was a bit more measured. The previous generation of smartphones at the time were just slightly evolved PDAs. They were mostly aimed at business users who demanded capabilities that facilitated mobile productivity. This resulted in the merger of mobile communication, like calling and email, being balanced with other functions such as scheduling and spreadsheet apps as a central core experience. All of these functions required a full keyboard. Touchscreens just weren't up to the job. Until the iPhone, that is, with its capacitive multi-touch technology that Apple had previously acquired from the Fingerworks company. To most experts, a touchscreen phone with no buttons seemed like a stupid idea at first glance. But. In reality, it allowed a phone to become a blank canvas and the limits to its capabilities were only bounded by the imagination of the app developers. Such a method of human-computer interaction, when perfected, opened up the smartphone to an audience far beyond business users and geeks. It opened it up to everyone. Number 1. Blockbuster Video Rejects Netflix So I think most of us are familiar with this story. In the year 2000, Netflix approached Blockbuster to sell their company for $50 million, and they got laughed out of the office. From the point of view of Blockbuster, it didn't make sense for people to pay for a monthly subscription to have DVDs delivered to their door. Netflix would make the transition from mailed DVDs to online streaming around 2007. They were forward thinking and ready for the new digital revolution in personal computing and internet usage. Amongst this backdrop in 2008, Blockbuster's new CEO, Jim Keys, said the following in an interview. Netflix aren't even on the radar screen in terms of competition. Our competition is more like Walmart. His reasoning? Blockbuster was a huge rental retail company, not a technology company. They still had a massive customer base, so there was virtually nothing to worry about. Online streaming was still quite a new thing. It had been tried in the mid-90s before and was mainly a failure, so it kind of made sense not to pay attention. But of course, this would be a fatal mistake. In just two years, Blockbuster was filing for bankruptcy, and today, Netflix has over $19 billion worth of assets. So what can we take away from this in conclusion? Well, I guess you could say, don't let your own biases blind you. Seeing things from a fresh perspective is critical to avoiding mistakes. And this is a general rule, it's applicable throughout life. So that just about rounds out the end of the podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode of Cold Fusion, please head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and leave a review. For those of you who have Android phones, you can listen and subscribe to Cold Fusion on Google Podcasts and Spotify. This has been DeGogo, and thanks for listening to the Cold Fusion podcast. Cheers, guys. Have a good one. Cold Fusion. It's new thinking.